an end in sight to the circuit breaker. Well, they can expect on Tuesday that the circuit breaker will be over. The gradual restart, and until then, additional road checks over the long weekend. The vaccine rollout for kids. We will make the clinics family-friendly for everybody. The best way to make sure your child gets the shots. And a failure of the foreign buyer's tax. What happened to me happens to everyone. How a hard-working immigrant entrepreneur ended up owing thousands. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll have those stories for you in just a moment. But first, we have breaking news. RCMP are investigating another brazen fatal shooting. This time, it's happened at a shopping mall in Nanaimo. RCMP confirmed one person is dead. The shooting happened around 3.30 this afternoon at Rock City Plaza along the island highway. Witnesses report hearing at least three shots and seeing one suspect fleeing the scene. RCMP now confirmed three people have been arrested and they have seized a vehicle in relation to the shooting. Police are holding various scenes around Nanaimo as part of the investigation. And if we get more information, we'll pass it along to you. Now, the May long weekend is usually a busy travel time, but with the pandemic still here, British Columbians are being reminded to stay close to home until restrictions are lifted. That's right. As John Waugh reports, those who break the rules could pay a price. The rules seem pretty black and white. But for anyone still unclear about BC's travel restrictions, there will be plenty of reminders heading into the Maylong weekend. We will be at four locations uh, throughout the weekend, and those locations will have longer hours and uh, more manpower. BC RCMP will continue its rotation of road checks throughout the province, making sure anyone leaving one of three regional zones is doing so for essential travel only. And last weekend, we saw over 2,000 people come through the road checks with 30 people voluntarily turned around. While police are expected to be out in force, the hope is most will keep close to home. Whenever there's been a long weekend, we've seen an increase in case counts, which leads to an increase in potential fatalities, an increase in hospitalization. The hope is everyone will heed that warning, but skeptics might find that hard to believe, considering campgrounds across the province are completely booked up and sailing reservations to the Sunshine Coast are nearly sold out for the next few days. Let's get through this weekend. It's so critically important. We can't stress enough how important it is to follow the guidelines. Don't look for loopholes. Don't look for ways around it. Law enforcement may have eyes on the road and restrictions and no added sailings will be in place for BC ferries. But don't expect the province to turn around people traveling by air. In the past week, there have been seven confirmed COVID-19 cases on flights in and out of Vancouver International Airport. That includes travel within the province to and from Alberta and one flight from Seattle. It's critically important that people remember that because the weather is good and the, and the, the trajectory on case counts is positive, we are not done yet. With provincial reopening plans just on the horizon, the temptation to disobey health orders might be at an all-time high. Or perhaps it's a reminder this holiday long weekend is the perfect time to exercise restraint. John Hua, Global News. Let's bring in Keith Baldry now. Keith, once we get through the long weekend and the circuit breaker expires, a lot of people are wondering what happens then. And the premier indicated today that people would be pleased with part of the reopening plan at least. 
Yeah, John Horgan, again, I think surprising people today by being pretty clear that the circuit breaker, now when we talk about the circuit breaker, we're talking about the ban on in-person dining in restaurants. We're talking about those travel restrictions. Uh, one of those health orders expires midnight on Monday. John Horgan, Premier John Horgan today, basically saying the circuit breaker will end, and on Tuesday it's wide open again. So uh, it appears to have given a green light to in-person dining resuming as early as Tuesday. Here's Premier John Horgan. Well, they can expect on Tuesday that the circuit breaker will be over and a roadmap will be laid out for all British Columbians to see. This is great news for young people who, as Bonnie has said, want to get on with their lives. It's great news for entrepreneurs. It's great news for workers. It's great news for adults who want to get on with their lives. Uh, and, and this is uh, what we've been working towards for the past number of weeks. And there'll be an abundant amount of information on Tuesday. So again, he's all but said restaurants will resume in-person dining uh, next week. Uh, we're going to see an end to those uh, police roadblocks or checkpoints uh, starting next week again. But uh, we expect on Tuesday to get even more information about the, the game plan, the timeline for the entire summer. When can sport teams uh, begin interleague play again? When can arts and culture groups begin performing with live audiences? How big can the crowds be at some of the events through the summer? We hope to get a timeline and a little more meat on the bone on Tuesday from Premier John Horgan, Dr. Bonnie Henry, and of course, uh, Health Mr. Adrian Dix. I'm coaching a bunch of little leaguers who I know are dying for some of those answers, oh. too. All right, Keith, thanks very much. <laughs> well, the Canada-U.S. land border will remain closed for at least another month in order to curb the spread of COVID-19. Non-essential travel between our two countries remains restricted until June 21st. Our Paul Johnson is live at the Point Roberts Crossing for us. Paul, this comes as uh, more people are calling for a plan to reopen that border because vaccination rates are rising in both countries. Yeah, they are. Sophie, you know, the situation in Point Roberts is interesting. There are currently about 850 people living down there. According to the Chamber of Commerce, 835 of them have been fully vaccinated at this point. So they're hopeful that they can come up with some kind of safe and pragmatic way for these people to resume their lives, which involve frequent crossing of the border. Here's a look at Point Roberts from the U.S. side recently where business is down 90% and the lives of the several hundred residents here remain totally upended. There's no common sense. It's a lockdown military mentality that's prevailing on both sides of the border. While Ottawa and Washington were quick to close the Canada-U.S. border last March, there's apparently no manual on how to reopen it. It's really not clear what approach Canada and the U.S. are going to take in order to reopen the border. Lori Troutman tracks border issues at the University of Western Washington in Bellingham, where the loss of Canadians has been a quarter billion dollar hit to the local economy. But the big concern, she says, is a longer term fraying of cross-border connections that have historically been the world's most prosperous. There's a really long tail on this dog and, you know, we could lift the restrictions next month, and these impacts are going to be felt for years. While a growing number of stakeholders say a phased reopening plan is overdue, the border is still a radioactive topic for many Canadian leaders, despite America's plummeting case numbers and soaring vaccination rate. We should have had it before now, and people should know what the criteria are so they can plan appropriately. In the case of Point Roberts, observers say history may be a harsh judge of the failure of government to come up with a safe and sensible plan 
that would have allowed the few hundred people here to go about their cross-border lives. We're not North and South Korea, for God's sakes. We're allies. We're friendly. We're cooperative. What happened? It's bizarre. So it's not well known, but one of the interesting things they've done in Point Roberts to get through all of this is they've taken an old whale-watching boat and they've repurposed it to make ferry runs between Point Roberts and Bellingham. It goes twice a week, but it's two hours each way. It's not very convenient. One of the things they tried to do was to establish a bus service that would go from Point Roberts, would drive down to Bellingham. It wouldn't open its doors while it was on Canadian territory, but it would allow people to do their business They say Ottawa shot that idea down. Sophie? Such a predicament for those people. All right, thanks for that, Paul. Canada is making big strides in its vaccination rollout, so much so that we are expected to surpass the United States in at least one key category in the fight against the pandemic. Almost 18 million Canadians have received one dose of a vaccine. By the end of today, 49% of the population should have had their first dose. That inches us past the United States by one percentage point. However, we remain far behind when it comes to people getting both shots. Fewer than 4% of Canadians are fully vaccinated compared to 37% of Americans. All right, let's take a look now at the latest COVID-19 numbers for our province. We have 357 new cases. That brings BC's total to 140,953, with 4,636 of those cases currently active. 331 people are in hospital, 113 of them in ICU. Both of those numbers are lower. Sadly, three more people have died from complications of the virus. And another major boost to B.C.'s vaccination program comes with children 12 to 17 years old now able to get their shots. But B.C. teachers say the province is missing the mark by not setting up clinics in schools. Richard Zussman reports. It's Premier John Horgan's long weekend advice to families. What we'd like to see over the weekend is people taking advantage of an opportunity to perhaps go to one of their favorite restaurants, get a takeout meal, stop in at the immunization center, get vaccinated. And the list of those that can get their vaccine just got a little longer. The province announcing Thursday kids 12 to 17 can now register and then book their COVID vaccine meeting an additional 310,000 people are now eligible for the shot. It's an exciting step for all of us. And we know that uh, youth are excited, not only because it's important to protect themselves, but because they know that it's important to protect their families and their loved ones. And if their parents or guardian already have an appointment, any 12 to 17 year old can go with them right away and get the shot as well. We will make uh, the clinics family friendly for everybody. The province has decided not to do vaccinations at schools, instead opting for mass clinics and extending hours, including after school and on weekends. It takes a lot of resources to go into every single school in a very short period of time, and uh, that would not have been able to be uh, done equitably across, uh, especially some of our larger health authorities. And this has the BC Teachers Federation ringing the alarm bell worries students will fall through the gaps. We're really concerned about um, reducing as many barriers as possible to students accessing vaccines. The BCTF suggesting instead of doing a pop-up clinic for all ages, 
do one at a big high school in a hotspot. It only makes sense to be able to set up clin clinics in school gyms or cafeterias where you can vaccinate a large number of students in a very short period of time. There could be a few schools used, but only in remote communities. For the clinics, kids can come alone. They don't need parental consent to get the vaccine, but public health nurses will be there to ensure anyone getting the shot understands the full implications. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. BC care homes have been the hardest hit during the pandemic, but case numbers started to drop as more seniors got vaccinated. However, there are still care home workers who haven't had their shots. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, researchers want to know why. One staff member and one resident positive for COVID-19 at Charrington Place. Another outbreak at Chartwell Manor in Burnaby. Over the course of the pandemic, throughout Fraser Health, there have been 105 separate outbreaks at 85 facilities. Even now, as most residents are vaccinated, the outbreaks continue, fueled most likely by unvaccinated staff members. I think there's been very significant take-up around healthcare workers, whether they're in acute care and long-term care. We can always do better because we're always short of 100%. Fraser Health and Vancouver Coastal Health both declined to provide detailed information on staff vaccination rates. Now an SFU researcher is examining what the vaccination gap actually is in Fraser Health. So staff rates are lower. It really depends by facility. Geographer Valerie Crooks has been given funding and six months to publish results. It's a complex problem to solve. Vaccine reluctance, access issues, and cultural barriers all play a role. This is a group that really deserves our attention. This is a, a group working in an incredibly vulnerable workplace, and they really, really should benefit from us having dedicated attention. One of the big issues with low uptake in vaccine is trust. Even though the workers are in the healthcare system, they may not trust the system. It's not just about hesitancy or it's not all about hesitancy. Some of it has to do with convenience. And the easier you make it for someone, the more likely they are to get a vaccine. Outbreaks at long-term care are smaller since widespread vaccination and much more easily contained. A situation that improves as more people roll up their sleeves. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Outrage after a controversial post on an Abbotsford councillor's Facebook page. The anti-mask message invoking Nazi imagery and what the mayor says about it next on the NewsHour. Oh man, this is getting super steep. Trail training. Why you should try North Shore Rescue's new interactive video before you get lost. That's coming up on the NewsHour. And a shocking twist in the case of the new Westminster Pier fire. That's coming up later. Right now, though, voters in the Fraser Valley are no strangers to controversial remarks by politicians. The latest from Abbotsford Municipal Councillor Brenda Falk. There is a post on her Facebook page comparing B.C.'s mask mandate to the fascism of Nazi Germany. Jordan Armstrong shows us how the community is reacting. Another Fraser Valley politician is facing questions about a social media post. It's actually alarming. This was posted on the Facebook page of Abbotsford Councillor Brenda Falk with the comment, wise words for us all. It's an image of Sophie Scholl, an anti-Nazi activist who was executed in 1943 for treason. What do you think of that? Terrible. Terrible. 
Many in Abbotsford are interpreting the post as a comparison of current health restrictions to life in Nazi Germany. Do you think she should apologize? Of course. Like, you can't, they're two total different scenarios completely. There's too much political correctness going on, so I kind of applaud her for that. Several attempts to reach the second term councillor failed. Ladies and gentlemen, we may be approaching a fateful hour. Falk is listed as a member of the Liberty Coalitions and the Lockdowns Caucus. Another caucus member is Ontario Member of Provincial Parliament Randy Hillier, who last month invoked Hitler in a tweet complaining about COVID-19 restrictions. Earlier this month in Abbotsford, Sorry school trustee Phil Anderson went on leave after sharing a Facebook post comparing masks to slavery. Why do you think these types of controversies keep happening with politicians in this part of the world? I don't know, but everybody and everything seems to have gone all crazy. What does the mayor think? Henry Braun's spokesperson wouldn't make him available. So we waited for the mayor to leave City Hall at the end of the day. I understand that this is upsetting to some people in our community. Braun won't denounce his councillor. Those statements are not that of City Council. So she wasn't speaking for City Council. Not good enough, says this citizen. What would you like to hear from the mayor? An apology. And she should be stepping down. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Burnaby RCMP are asking for the public's help to identify a man involved in a violent assault connected to an anti-mask incident. The attack happened at a retail business at First and Boundary on May the 8th. When a man was asked why he wasn't wearing a mask, he repeatedly punched the employee and threatened another with a knife. On his way out, the man grabbed a pair of bolt cutters and smashed the front window, then charged at an employee before finally driving off. So the information we have right now is uh, what prompted it was uh, the question of why he wasn't wearing a mask. Uh, it was that simple. That prompted the, the suspect to uh, punch uh, the employee in the head and the, in the back, um, jump on top of the employee. It's quite traumatic for the employees. Uh, and then uh, threaten the employee to kill him. The suspect is white with blonde hair and a buzz cut. He was wearing a dark hoodie and runners. If you know who this person is, you are asked to contact Burnaby RCMP. And up next, a local homebuyer faces a huge tax bill he says he doesn't deserve. At that time, there was no foreign uh, buyer tax. Caught in a dispute with the province why he says he shouldn't have to pay. And no sympathy for a convicted drug dealer caught trying to peddle potentially deadly drugs. The provincial government is responding to a lawsuit by a Victoria businessman over its foreign buyers tax. Eric Chang was slapped with a huge tax bill for buying into a pre-sale before the tax even came into effect. As Nitu Garcha reports, while Chang fights back, the bill grows every day. Eric Chang is pouring a lot into his coffee shop. I work more than eight hours a day, I think, and it's every day. The permanent resident operates the business as a condition of his provincial nominee program, or PNP. So I can sponsor my kids and my wife back to Canada. But Chang says he's being painted and treated as a speculator, now with a nearly $282,000 foreign buyer's tax debt, a measure that went into effect after he signed a contract for a pre-sale home in Coquitlam. It increased from 15 to 20 percent under the current government. If I keep thinking, I cannot sleep. 
sleep well. He thinks he should be exempt, like in Ontario, which has exceptions on a similar tax. He appealed the province's decision and even filed legal action. In its response to the lawsuit, the province argued he bought three residential properties in Metro Vancouver with the intention of selling them for a profit. But the latter isn't true, says Chang, who worked as a stock trader in Taiwan before he came to Canada in 2015. Using his savings to purchase property in Metro Vancouver with his sister, a Canadian citizen, before PNP requirements forced them to sell. I just come here and for immigration. Legal experts not involved in his case question who the tax is targeting. All these have nothing to do with uh, speculation, uh, but has a lot to do with them being foreigners. And in fact, you know, it's only because they're foreigners they have to pay that tax. When they make policies, they have to be fair to everyone, include foreigners, because not every foreigner is a speculator. Most foreigners are uh, middle-class workers like me. The province says since 2018, the number of foreign-involved purchases in B.C. has decreased year over year, remaining confident it's calming the crisis even amid another housing boom. Nitu Garcha, Global News. Well, at the time, police called the drug operation one of the most significant and sophisticated ever uncovered in Canada. Now, B.C.'s highest court has upheld an 11-year prison sentence handed to a Kelowna fentanyl and carfentanyl drug trafficker. Global's Shelby Tom has more on how the international criminal endeavor worked and why the appeal filed by James Nelson was denied. Lucrative and deceptive, the court said. James Nelson admitted to selling potentially lethal amounts of fentanyl and carfentanyl on the dark web, using the username FatTuesday underscore 13 from July 2016 to August 2017. Concealed in small plastic bags within a magazine, he would ship the drugs out to anonymous customers in the country and around the world through Canada Post. These um, mailer envelopes would have been placed into these black... um bags for shipment. Busted after police posed as buyers and purchased the powerful opioids through the shadowy depths of the internet. It has been indicated uh, that it may be one of the most significant and perhaps the most sophisticated uh, fentanyl and carfentanyl uh, trafficking and exportation uh, operations that have been discovered here in Canada. Nelson pleaded guilty to two counts of trafficking. He operated this downtown Kelowna clothing store called Duke and Duchess Apparel with his common-law spouse, Cassie Bonthu. Charges against Bonthu were dropped when Nelson pleaded guilty. Last July, the sentencing judge said Nelson ran the drug trafficking operation with indifference to human life and suffering amid the opioid crisis, ruling the trafficking was highly sophisticated and international in scope, that he potentially exposed innocent Canada Post employees and his young son to grievous harm, and that the purity and potency of the drugs increased the likelihood of lethality. Nelson appealed to the 11-year sentence, arguing his previous lack of a criminal record should have resulted in more lenient punishment. BC's highest court disagreed. Nelson presented himself as a law-abiding, responsible, and respectable citizen, and yet that veneer of respectability obscured a man who had a long-standing operation trafficking in substances that he knew could be lethal to his clients, the B.C. Court of Appeal ruled. The 38-year-old Kelowna man will spend the next decade behind bars. Police say the bust may have saved lives. It's likely prevented um, many deaths. Shelby Tom, Global News.
And straight ahead, what could be the war in the woods 2.0? Do not pass this spot. Thank you. Tempers flare as RCMP enforce an injunction. The suspect accused of setting last year's New Westminster Pier Park fire has died, and the charges against him have been abated. Sean Warnick was charged with mischief to property and arson with damage to property in connection with the September fire that engulfed the old pier section of the riverfront green space. The 49-year-old was released from custody with conditions, but New Westminster police now say they recently became aware that he had passed away. Details of his death are not being released. Police say they are not conducting any further investigation and no additional suspects are being sought. More arrests today at a controversial logging operation on Vancouver Island. Police moved in yesterday to remove protesters blocking access to the Ferry Creek watershed. Kylie Stanton shows us what happened when some of the protesters returned. This is illegal. You have no jurisdiction on stolen land. With four officers on one protester, it's clear just how strong their convictions are. I am not under arrest. These people are chaining themselves to objects to try and protect ancient ecosystems. Protesters returned Thursday morning to the police-restricted area near the Kekus watershed locking themselves to bridges and up in trees. RCMP moving in once again, enforcing the court-ordered injunction to arrest those blocking the forestry operations in Tree Farm License 46. We're taking a measured approach uh, to every individual that we deal with. Seven more people have been arrested, six for breaching the injunction, and one was escorted out with no recommended charges. This, despite the First Nation, whose territory encompasses the Ferry Creek watershed, also taking a stand, with repeated calls for protesters to move on. In a statement, the Pachidot First Nation said, Our traditional territory is being currently exploited as a backdrop for a province-wide environmental campaign, with insufficient regard to the proper Indigenous protocols or the sovereignty, rights, wishes or needs of the Pachidot people. That spilled into the streets of Victoria. We are here peacefully to deliver a letter. More than 150 protesters took to the streets, making their way to the front steps of the B.C. legislature. And so this is to deliver to Mr. Heyman. Yep. Calling on the provincial government to better protect what's left of the old growth forests. As for the company that owns the rights to harvest in the area, it just wants to get to work. In a statement, Teal Jones said, Our work on the tree farm license is important and vital to sustaining hundreds of jobs in the province and producing products we all rely on every day. But it's clear, injunction or not, these protesters aren't going to make it easy. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Vancouver police are asking for your help to find a 70-year-old woman with advanced Alzheimer's disease. Police say Maria Cecilia Mondanese was last seen around 10 o'clock this morning outside City Hall. She was with her husband who went in to pay a bill. When he came back out, Mondanese was nowhere to be seen. Officers have been searching for hours to no avail. Mondanese is five foot six with a slim build and brown eyes. She was last seen wearing a three-quarter length black zip-up raincoat, black jeans and gray shoes. If you see her, you're asked to stay with her and call 911. 
Provincial health officials today confirmed there have been several COVID-19 outbreaks in assisted living facilities that have not been reported. And while full action was taken by public health, going forward, Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry says there will be better transparency around all outbreaks. Two are in the Vancouver Coastal Health Region, one at the Terraces on 7th and one at the Chalmers Long-Term Care Home. Full action was taken by local public health and by my public health colleagues to manage with those facilities, but they have not yet been included. And so um, recently, as we became aware of this, we want to make sure that all of these outbreaks are in our uh, outbreak reports and they will be added today for transparency. Still to come, flavors of hope. I want to see a world where refugee newcomer women really flourish. Cooking, storytelling, and entrepreneurship blend together in the perfect recipe. And in sports, a big clue the Canucks will give head coach Travis Green another chance. A North Okanagan water utility is warning customers to prepare for the possibility of a dry summer ahead. We just wanted to raise awareness amongst residents that uh, we're seeing really dry conditions this spring and uh, we've uh, actually had a really low amount of precipitation down here in the valleys. Thanks to dry conditions this spring, water levels at the Duto Creek Reservoirs are at below average levels. Forecasters say we could see drier than normal conditions in June, too. And that's when officials typically count on wet weather to fill up reservoirs. Now, while the utility isn't panicking yet, it does want to notify customers of a possible dry season so they can prepare. A dry season and lightning could be problematic. Let's get the latest on the weather forecast with Christy Gordon right now, Christy. You're exactly right. And that's a good heads up as we head into the long weekend, Chris. We've got dry weather on the way and we're really urging everyone to be careful uh, because we've had a number of human-caused fires so far this year. Now, as you talked about lightning, yes, you see the blue sky behind me here, but that wasn't the case just about an hour ago in Mission and Abbotsford for the second afternoon in a row. Yes, the skies opened up over that area and quite a thunderstorm rolling through that region. Now, conditions are easing off now, but we still do have a slight risk of an isolated thundershower as we head through the evening hours. And before I tell you about the sunshine and how hot it will get, quickly, the Atlantic hurricane season forecast has just been posted. Looking back at last year, which was a record-breaking year, these were the numbers. Named storms, 30. Hurricanes, 13. Major hurricanes, 7. And eight of the named storms came into Canada, and they're forecasting up to 20 named storms this year. Now, bear in mind, last year, they also forecasted up to 20. So we will be watching a very active hurricane season that's for sure and of those named storms that could make their way into Canada they're predicting four to seven so quite an impact potentially and if you're wondering the hurricane season usually begins beginning of June right through till the end of November but the peak tends to be August September and uh, October and if you're wondering if your name will be mentioned this year this is the list of names for the 2021 storm season 
And Sophie, sorry, yours is not on here, but we've got sunshine in store for you, that's for sure. So right across the board tomorrow, sunshine expected near to slightly above seasonal values. And we're going to see these conditions again on Saturday. So two beautiful days to sort of kick off our long weekend. We will see a little bit more cloud cover on Sunday and we're expecting showers at this point on Monday, but that's still days away. So we have some time to refine that forecast for you. In the meantime, here's your central windows weather window for tonight. This from last night where there was also some storm action in through the Kelowna area. Thank you so much to Jordan for that one. I'm enough of a hurricane all on my own. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Was I too eager in agreeing with that? <laughs> oh, it's true. Thanks, Christy. Well, on a day like today, it's so tempting to go take a hike in the mountains. But more people in the backcountry means more people needing rescue. So North Shore Search and Rescue is out with a new Choose Your Own Adventure video that could help keep you safe. Catherine Urquhart has the story. Millie, Chelsea, and Nicholas intently focus on a new interactive video, one that could potentially save their lives. You made it. Yeah. Yeah. North Shore Rescue has just released Survive Your Own Adventure. It's an interactive video on their website, which is designed to educate kids and adults about making smart choices in the backcountry. It's a safety video that that walks you through um, going on a hike on the North Shore Mountains here. And it gives you several um, decisions that you make that can have a profound impact on the rest of your hike. Should we cross or stay on this side? During one part of the video, the actress who plays a hiker asks participants if she should cross a river. It shows how doing so is a very poor choice. Survive Your Own Adventure was privately funded by the Ricks Family Foundation and Methanex, with support from Talon Helicopters. It's being embraced by the North Vancouver School District, which plans to promote it with all students and staff. Intent is we want to get this out into all the schools on the North Shore. Hopefully that goes even broader. For Millie, Chelsea and Nicholas, it's not a typical video game they might play. This looks like the trail. But it's one that will help them make smart choices if they're out for a hike. Choices that will help to keep them safe. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. He should have stayed with Michelle. (laughs) I know that for a fact. All right, look who just joined us. Yes. What's happening? Well, quite a bit actually, although nothing's finalized yet. But at today's Canucks postmortem... All the players who spoke hoped their coaches would be signed for next year. You know, I know we all, uh, you know, we all think very highly of uh, the coaching staff. And the indi- indication is the players might get their wish. Also ahead, flavors of hope bringing cultures and new Canadians together. Well, throughout history, food has brought people around the world together, and it's also helping a group of new Canadians launch their own small businesses here in B.C. As Linda Aylesworth shows us, a pilot project called Dream Cuisines is helping female refugees and other newcomers connect with the community through their own food businesses. 
This is great with pork. If tacos are what come to mind when you think of Mexican food, then you need to meet Angeles Canedo. We in Mexico, we have more than a hundred kind of chilies, and these are my secrets in my recipes. Angeles used to run a small cooking business from her home near Chihuahua, Mexico. She had an idyllic life there until cartel violence tore her world apart. My husband's family got killed, and. And well, first they were kidnapped, and then raped, and hit, and bitten. She fled with her surviving family members to Vancouver. It was here that she met Trixie Ling. Thank God, I then I met Trixie. I met. Uh, I uh, started working with Trixie and uh, building this beautiful program of Flavors of Hope. Our mission is to really empower and support newcomer women to earn a livable income and to build connections in their community through cooking. Last night, Flavors of Hope launched a new pilot project over Zoom. I want to extend that welcome to everyone who's here. The goal of Dream Cuisines, to help women like Ankalise launch food businesses in their new homeland. She is one of three women that we're working with who has incredible strength and resilience and courage because it takes a lot of bravery to start a food business. The name of my business is Mis Cazuelas, my clay pots. I won't cook without them. Her menu and details on how to order are available on her website, miscozulasmexicanfood.com. I'll be selling my food, which is green pozole, and I have a vegan version. Also, cauliflower ceviche and uh, some uh, pastel azteca. My privilege and my honor is to be with them in part of this journey to help them build a new home, um, build a new life through their food business. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. It's a great program. Food for the soul, for sure. Who's hungry now? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, all right, let's yeah. check in with Chris. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, check in with Christy here before we go. Thanks. So we do have a risk of thunderstorms still through the evening hours, not only here, but uh, into areas like Kelowna as well. But as we head into tomorrow, things settle down. We've got two days of sunshine on the way. Stay tuned, though, for the forecast for the latter part of the weekend. Hopefully we can extend that sunshine a little bit further. All right. Still looks pretty good. Thanks, Christy. And thank you for watching, Mm -hmm. everybody. Hope you have a great night. Have a good night, all.